There's a lot of really amazing advantages to doing this type of publishing, which I'll talk about uh, a few of those later on in the presentation. But one of the most important, I find, is this idea of seeking out as many kids as possible that might have an interest in this property, be whether they identify as a book lover or a game lover or somewhere in between. In this week's episode, Keith Fretz from Scholastic US shares a few case studies of building successful transmedia properties with a mix of books, games, and community. With four best-selling series, over 22 million books in print across the US, and 3.5 million registered online game users, the strategy behind Scholastic's transmedia approach is definitely worth considering for any publisher of kids' books. If you'd like to see Keith's presentation slides, you can find them at slideshare.net slash booknetcanada. Now, here's Keith. My name is Keith Fretz, and I'm an associate producer and game designer for Scholastic. And Scholastic is the world's largest publisher and distributor of children's books. So a lot of the things I'm going to be talking about uh, revolve around my group's target demographic, middle grade, boys and girls ages 8 to 12. That being said, a lot of these principles can be applied to other demographics as well. I am lucky enough to work on a really fun team at Scholastic. Uh, we are in charge of our transmedia publishing properties and uh, as was just mentioned also, these are, for us anyway, book series that have an accompanying online game or online component to them. And there's a lot of really amazing advantages to doing this type of publishing, which I'll talk about uh, a few of those later on in the presentation. But one of the most important, I find, is this idea of seeking out as many kids as possible that might have an interest in this property, be whether they identify as a book lover or a game lover or somewhere in between. We've developed four of these transmedia properties thus far. Uh, all four have become best-selling series with more than 22 million books in print in the US, over 3.5 million registered users for our games, and a stat that I'm personally uh, really proud of, 26 minutes average time spent on the site, which is a really healthy number in terms of user engagement on the web. The first series that we developed was the 39 Clues back in 2008, the first book of this being written by rock star author Rick Riordan. And 39 Clues is a really fun uh, worldwide treasure hunt adventure um, that is now in its fourth arc. So it has stood the test of time, and we, we are proud of it, certainly. Each book in the 39 Clues was packaged with a set of physical trading cards and also a code that, when added to your account on our website, unlocked game content that paralleled uh, things that were happening in the book and characters in the book. And this would serve as the basis of our model moving forward as we continued our transmedia publishing program. The follow-up to 39 Clues was Infinity Ring, launched in 2012. Infinity Ring is a time travel adventure. Uh, the first book of this series is written by James Dashner, who many of you know is a best-selling author of The Maze Runner, which was turned into a movie that did quite well in its own right. And 
With Infinity Ring on the website, we wanted to kind of step things up a bit. So we started working with a different game engine that would allow us to create fully realized 3D worlds for the kids to explore. It was quite a leap from the traditional 2D uh, flash-based games that were uh, available to us to produce for the 39 Clues. But more importantly, this Infinity Ring was our first time uh, being able to bring the game experience from the web also on to mobile devices and tablets, which I think we can all agree is a, a very important space to be involved in, not only for book publishing, but also on the game side. And then the follow-up to Infinity Ring was Spirit Animals. Launched in 2013, Spirit Animals has quickly become our flagship series. Uh, the first book written by Brandon Mull, who is a very prominent uh, fantasy writer in this demographic. It's really great to have him on board. And as you might be able to see, quite small print, but uh, amazing authors following the rest of this series, anchored by Marie Lu, who incidentally is a hardcore game fan herself. So it's been really cool to talk to her about this stuff. Since we launched Spirit Animals, it's really taken off for us. Uh, you can see here, there's some really nice pictures from live events we've done. There's a packed out stadium here. This is from uh, an event in New Hampshire that I was actually at. There's a picture of me signing my first and only autograph to some kids who thought it was cool I made the game. So it, your animals will always hold a special place in my heart. <laughs> um, and like I said, it has been a, a, a really wild success for us, both hitting the bestseller uh, New York Times and USA Today with more than 2.7 million copies in print in the US alone. The game for Spirit Animals is our most robust yet a fully realized action role-playing game where kids create their own hero and call their own spirit animal. I mean, who doesn't want to call their own spirit animal and go on adventures that are similar to the ones that the kids go on in the book. But more importantly, I think, is the fact that Spirit Animals was our first time being able to bring a multiplayer experience to our games. So not only could you play by yourself, as you could with the previous two, but now you can play with your friends and the people that you met in this community that we're developing for our transmedia series. And this is a really important initiative for us as we continue to try to make our transmedia series a overwhelmingly social experience. And then the newest member of the gang, Tomb Quest, just released in January of 2015, a really fun uh, Egyptian-themed adventure uh, written by Michael Northrup, who is uh, a fantastic writer and, a, a, we believe, a rising star in this demographic. Tomb Quest has already hit the bestseller list, and we're really excited to see how it fares going forward. And just briefly touching on uh, some concepts for the game behind Tomb Quest was this idea of create, share, and play. Um, anyone who has kids, I assume that many of them probably play Minecraft. <laughs> yeah, I play too, but, <laughs> but uh, what Minecraft does really well is gives the kids this kind of sandbox environment and provides them with tools to create their own kind of thing and not have a linear experience but allow them to explore their own creativity in this game space. So we wanted to uh, take a page out of their book and um, create something that allowed for user-generated content. And so uh, we like to think that we've achieved that, uh, of course, on a much smaller scale than Minecraft. 
Um, but it's been really a positive experience to see the kids creating their, in this they're creating their own tombs and creating traps so other people can't steal their treasures. It's really very fun. And so when I talk about the transmedia program that we develop, one of the big questions that I always get or the big concerns is, is this type of a program worth it? Um, not just from a financial perspective, but also there's a fair amount of personnel that needs to be involved in this around the company. It's a, it can be a fairly large undertaking. And I think if you ask around Scholastic, the uh, resounding response will be yes, uh, if for no other reason than the fact that we've had so much success with this program. All four of these series have gone on to be bestsellers and be quite successful. And we like to think of this is not a book and a game, but a product as a whole that will succeed together. And we're really proud of that. Excuse me. But I guess, I guess the romantic in me likes to think that innovation in and of itself is worth it. To try to do something different, to try to take risks, to uh, reach a path that might not have been traveled before. And I always love that uh, famous Albert Einstein quote where he defines insanity as doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And it's that type of forward thinking and that type of dedication to innovation that has allowed Scholastic to become the first publisher to embrace this type of publishing program and to succeed with it. And while the properties that I just mentioned uh, definitely had a, a, a sizable budget behind them, we have begun experimenting with this model on a smaller scale. And we're also seeing a lot of positive results for those properties as well. So I think one of the common misconceptions is that this type of model is not scalable. And it absolutely can be. And so I want to take the rest of my presentation to talk about three main components of transmedia publishing uh, that contributes to its, its success. And before I go any further, I want to make clear that these are not the only three. Uh, there are many more uh, to make something like this get off the ground and be successful, but um, many of them I have no business talking about, so I'm going to stick to the ones that I uh, can speak to uh, from my expertise. So what I'm going to talk about are off offering a unique experience then evolving this product over time, over the course of its life cycle, and building a community around this product. When we talk about a unique experience, first and foremost, we are, of course, talking about that experience for the consumer. And uh, the idea of transmedia publishing in and of itself is really appealing to the consumer. It's a, it's a grand experience that uh, travels beyond just book into a whole, never, a whole nother universe, if you will, the online game. And I touched on this a little before, but one of the really amazing things about this transmedia program is the ability to reach a wider audience. Not every child is a book lover. A lot of them are reluctant readers. A lot of them identify with games, and that's fine. As a kid, I identified with games, and I still love them. Um, but this type of program encourages kids of all kinds to take an interest in this type of a program, which we found to be really successful 
in terms of providing a crossover interest. So somebody who is a book lover that might not really be into games will come and try out your game and be familiar and comforted by that familiarity with some of the characters and environments that they've been loving reading about in the game and have a nice experience. And it works the other way with people who start in your game and then cross over to your book. But it's not just a unique experience for the consumer, it's also a very unique experience for our authors. For the most part, our transmedia series employ what we like to call internally the dream team author strategy. And this very simply means that we have a different author uh, write each book in the series. And there are a number of benefits of doing this. One of the major benefits is the fact that it allows us to publish on a pretty fast schedule. So we are putting out per series three to four books per year. This is really important for us because in this day and age with so much media out there to grab the attention of everyone and you know, kids included, it's important to once we pique their interest with a series to then follow it up uh, in a timely manner to give them the content that they're craving. And also having this idea of working with a number of authors is really important for having ambassadors to your brand. So when we do live events, when we do live author chats, which I'll talk about a little bit later, we have a lot of people to call on. We have a nice bullpen. Uh, these authors are busy, they're on tour, they're writing new books. Uh, they are not at our beck and call for everything. So it's nice to have a lot of uh, faces to put in front of our community and to uh, pair with our community for these really important events. And then also the idea of building talent. Uh, you know, Rick Ryder doesn't need our help at all. <laughs> we need his. But there are authors who are up and coming in this uh, middle grade genre that really benefit from being a part of this program. It's a really exciting thing. It's very hyped up both in retail and in the consumer. And it's a nice way of breaking some of these uh, rising stars out into the middle grade uh, publishing demographic. And then finally, it's a really unique experience for us, the publisher. Um, we have a small but very eclectic team uh, working on these. <laughs> yeah, we're all wearing animal hats. So I don't know if you can see. We've gotten a lot of mileage out of those hats. <laughs> but we, we have a, a small but eclectic team working on these series. Editorial, game design, marketing, publicity, production, and more, all working from the conception of this idea seeing it through all the way to the end and beyond through its entire life cycle. And when you do this, not only are you getting some really amazing ideas from the, pulling from the expertise of all of the individuals in these very different fields, but it builds a lot of internal excitement about the product because everyone involved is very invested in this product from the beginning all the way through. And one of the real advantages to working so closely with each department, especially edit between editorial and game design and marketing, is this idea of providing some level of continuity between what we're offering in the book and what we're offering as our online component. I'm a huge sci-fi fan, and Robert Heinlein has single-handedly made me want to be a space pirate, an astronaut, and a Martian, you know, all within a couple months of each other. And I think this idea of 
wanting to be the thing you're experiencing reading is a very common experience for us, uh, especially with our target demographic kids. We find that very often they don't just want to read it, they want to be it. And that is what an online component or online game can do for your book property. It can act as this destination that the consumer goes to in between reading, uh, after they've finished, uh, while they're waiting for the next book in the series, to get a different, uh, perhaps more interactive experience, but one that has the potential to be familiar enough to evoke some of the same excitement and joy that they got out of reading the book in the first place. And because of this rare opportunity, we've always felt a large onus on the game side to provide a level of continuity between what we're offering in the book and online. Because ultimately, that's what we feel somebody who loves your book wants out of this online experience. They want to see some of the things that they've fallen in love with reading about realized in some way. And it doesn't need to be 100% accurate, the continuity between them. I often uh, am an advocate for it not being. It can be a bit limiting in terms of uh, some game mechanics or just ideas that you have that you want to get across on the website. I, for example, in Spirit Animals, uh, you're not playing as the same main characters. You're not going on the same adventure. You're creating your own hero. You're going on your own adventure. But you're doing so in familiar environments that you've come to know from reading about in the books and also meeting familiar characters that you've come to know from reading about in the books. Something as simple as including a character that's in the book in this online world, in this game, can be a really powerful um, way to get that crossover interest between the people who love each of your products individually. I always like to think of our, our game as a sort of digital summer camp. Summer camp is not just a way for parents to keep their kids out of their hair for two months in the summers, although my mom certainly used that for me and my twin brother. But it's a way for the child to put to use some of the important life skills that they've learned over the course of their school year in a different and more casual environment. Things like team building, how to build relationships, critical thinking with some of the uh, activities they do. And this is exactly what we're offering on the web. We're offering a different experience, often labeled more casual, but one that allows the user to bring over experiences that they've had in the book into this realized world, which is really quite amazing for them. And the reaction from them is overwhelmingly positive when they're starting to see these uh, things that they've been reading about come to life. And when you do this, when you have this continuity between a book and game, or book and online component, what you're doing is ensuring that users who enjoy one of those components will have that great crossover interest, as I mentioned before. So a book lover comes to your game comforted by the familiarity of knowing the characters, knowing the environment, and has a really great experience. Same with the game. Someone who plays the game might uh, be wanting to know uh, more about the lore, about the things that behind what they're experiencing in the game. And then even if they're a reluctant reader or someone who doesn't read at all, might be interested in going and trying out the book to get more of this information. And when you do that, you're creating people 
that like your product as a whole, not the components separately, and these will be the vocal ambassadors that will support your product for an extended period of time. And speaking about maintaining interest over time, it brings me to the next thing I want to focus on, evolving this product that you've developed. So why is, why is evolving the product important? Well, we have this pipe dream that when we create something, it's going to be perfect. And we work on it for years, and we put so much effort and thought into it. And the truth of the matter is it's very hard to reach perfection. And perfection is not something that just happens um, on your pub date. It's something that uh, you need to earn through progress. And so looking at data and analyzing data is a way to evolve the product and progress the product to reach this idea of perfection, a really great experience for your users. And it also helps you stay current. We live in a world where you buy a computer and it's outdated. You create something and, it, and somebody has already replicated it. It's, it. Everything is moving very fast. And it's important that once you release a product like this to show support in evolving it, to staying with it, staying the course, and uh, showing a commitment to it. And so there are two main types of data that we look at uh, for these transmedia series on the, on the website. Uh, the first of which is analytical data, and um, most of us are familiar with that. It's been discussed many times today already. But for the game, this is, these are the type of things like, at what point in the game are users struggling? Or on the website, where are they spending the most time? Um, what parts are they ignoring that maybe we thought they would be really interested in? Um, it's all pretty simple stuff to think about, but it's really important to actually look at and analyze. And this type of information is very important for evolving the product. And it's something that we found tr traditional print is, is uh, it's very hard to achieve this level of drilled down data uh, in the same way that an online game or, or online space can. When you release uh, a book, generally, it's not, it's not always easy to know the exact points that people are confused or the exact uh, points that they're most happy, unless you, of course, ask them yourselves. But with the analytical data on the game side, we can get answers to these questions without ever asking those questions at all, which is a very organic way to look at how somebody uses your product. And this idea of evolving, this idea of evolving the product is also something that the game side really um, brings to the table in this transmedia relationship between book and game. Uh, even if you could get all this really great down drill, drill down data with uh, traditional print publishing, what can you really do with that data? Generally, you're not going to be pulling books off the shelves and redoing certain parts that are, you've found the community to maybe not take to. Uh, you can, of course, take these experiences and improve the next book in the series or your or future products, but in general, um, that product that you're getting the data for will largely remain unchanged. And so this is an advantage of this online game, this online uh, component uh, that brings to, the, like I said, the relationship between the two. And it's very nice to have that at our disposal and to get those kind of analytics about our community, about our user base. 
A very simple example of this uh, is in Spirit Animals, we offered a small mini game, a very ancillary experience to what was considered the main component of our game offering. And when we looked at some of the analytical data behind it, we found that while a number of users were not um, even, were, it was a very small amount of people that were using this ancillary minigame, but the ones that were were spending an incredible amount of time on it. And so we decided, hey, let's try to make this more visible. Let's try to make this a bigger part of what we're offering. And we did, and what we found was that a number of people were now flocking to this very small, insignificant, we thought, game that we had developed within the larger spirit animals world. And as a result, our time on site, our engagement in the game went up quite a bit. So that's a really simple way of looking at this type of data, of where kids are spending their time and how they're using their time, and then using it to make your product better for everyone. The second type of data that we generally look at is the type of data that you get from having a direct uh, connection with your consumer. All of our transmedia series have a very robust and active online community with safe and moderated forums that kids can come on and talk about the books and the games, things they like, things they don't like, or just goof off with their friends, which they very often do. Uh, and anyone who has kids or works with kids or develops products for kids knows how brutally honest they can be about your product. So you better believe that we've gotten some really incredible insight into the things we're doing right and wrong just by having this space for them to have a voice. And that idea of giving them a voice is really, really important. Not only to have this direct connection that has all sorts of wonderful marketing benefits as well, but also to build a trust between the consumer and the producer. So when you have this space and they're voicing their opinions on the product that you're creating, we make it a concerted effort to respond as much as we can and show that we are interested in their ideas, that we're taking into consideration the things that they want to see out of our product. And they really appreciate that. Even if their ideas don't end up making it into the next version of our game, or they make suggestions for the books too, which we, you know, we, generally we don't always take all of their wild suggestions. But the idea that we are listening to them the idea that we are an active part in their experience with our product is really powerful. And something as simple as forums has the idea, has the ability to provide that. Uh, one example of this, uh, spoilers for anyone who has not read Spirit Animals. In book six, a well-known character passes away. Uh, and when the kids read this and found out about it, they were up in arms on our message boards. Uh, how, how could we do this? Tariq was our favorite character. Uh, oh, I, don't, I don't know if I can read any more of these books. And we were really taken back because we knew he was a very likable character, but we had not realized that he was such a, a fan favorite. And so it sparked a couple of ideas. Hey, how can we maybe do some ancillary publishing around this character that is clearly a, a fan favorite uh, to try to get them more background on this you know, character, even though, unfortunately, is not a part of the books anymore. So this idea of giving the people what they want, taking into consideration 
the things that they like about your product and then being reactive to it and responding. And this idea of community is the last major pillar that I wanted to talk about. And it's something that we have, over the past couple of years, really started to take seriously. Um, and I think it is one of the greatest things that you can do in, ha in, in having an online space like this, is to take the community seriously. When we released the 39 Clues, we Basically, our website consisted of the game and a way to access the game via the code and to look at you know, digital versions of your cards. And then shortly thereafter, we added the forums, which I was talking about before. And I'm not here to say that, the, that message boards or forums are a great revelation. They've been around for ages. But they are a very simple and inexpensive way of giving the community a voice, giving the community a platform to express their creativity. And it's a great way for generating user-generated content. Uh, we found that when we released it, not only were the kids talking about the books and the game and, and giving us insight into how they're using it, but also talking about other things. So uh, fan fiction about the, you know, about the stories and, and other stories. And then the idea of role playing as some of the characters in the book. They were having a great time and making friends on this very simple platform um, that is readily, at this point in time, almost readily available to anyone that wants to really use it. We've done a lot of cool things just having these forums. Uh, last year, we uh, did a crowdsourced mashup book of all of, our, of all of our properties. So what we did is we asked the kids on the forums, we gave them story starters and asked them to write um, to finish you know, with, from using the story starter prompt. And then our editors uh, spent some tireless hours taking all of this content and generating a mashup story of all of the popular characters in all of our transmedia series. And then we offered it as a free download on iBooks. And you should have seen how excited these kids were to see their usernames bookfan103 in the, in the credits of this free book that we offered. And it's this idea of um, supporting their creativity. A lot of these kids want to be writers. They have dreams of, uh, aspirations of becoming writers. And the forums are just an amazing way to let them start doing that and to positively reinforce the things that they're talking about. It's also a really easy way to get author access. Uh, very often we'll ask the kids on our forums to send us questions for an author who's going to post in the coming week. And then we'll have that author answer the questions and then post. And they're very happy to do so. It really doesn't take much time at all. We're even there to help them out if they're not the most technologically savvy. Um, but this is a really easy way to get the authors some theoretical FaceTime with the community. Uh, and the kids love this. They love the idea of these rock star authors answering their questions. Their questions that might seem you know, insignificant are now being taken seriously by somebody uh, that they consider a really big part of their life. So from there, we wanted to take that idea of making our online experience social and then bring it into the game itself. And I touched on this a little bit before. With spirit animals, 
It was our first time making a multiplayer game. Uh, and we also developed a pretty sophisticated chat feature that allowed the kids to communicate. Anybody that's a game fan, I don't know if there's any out there, but you, you would know that if you're in a multiplayer game, it's important to communicate with your friends to kind of coordinate uh, and even just kind of hang out and have fun. So this was our way of bringing that wonderful experience that we've offered on the forums into our game space. And it's been really successful. Uh, we have a we have a, like a common area in in spirit animals when you first get in. We, it's like a, a nice outdoor courtyard, and that is where these kids are hanging out before they go on their epic quests. And oftentimes they're kind of just hanging out there talking. And so sometimes I'll pop in and they'll oh hi Keith. They know me as the, like an admin on the site. And sometimes they are I am in there and they're organizing tag. In, in this courtyard. They've organized races around, sorry, like races around the whole courtyard. They're building a game out of nothing. You know, and, it, and it's, it's really cool to see. It's really fun. I actually, one time, I, I went in there and one of the kids was like, tell us a joke. So, <laughs> so I found some funny animal jokes that were appropriate for spirit animals. And then I had like 10 kids just kind of standing there with their avatar. Like, as I was telling these jokes and getting, some getting ha-has and some dot-dot-dots, <laughs> they didn't find it. Was pretty, it, was, it was pretty exciting. That's the idea of, we didn't even, this is not the game. We, this is not any part of the game at all. And yet it's like the most fun thing that they can do. So this idea of a social experience within the game has become really important to us. And then from there, the next thing, and something pretty recent, is this idea of live streaming. Live streaming is very popular now, especially in the game space. And we have taken that chat feature I was talking about and paired it with um, technology that allows us to do these live stream videos. And over the last couple of uh, months, we've been starting to do these really cool live stream author events. You can see here, this is one with Maggie Steve Otter. We did this last week and at one point, you heard dogs barking in, in the video. And to no one's surprise, everyone in the chat was like, puppies, puppies, I love dogs. <laughs> and so Maggie, knowing how to play to a crowd, went and fetched her two cute little dogs and was showing them to the kids. And this obviously has nothing to do with the books that she's writing. Uh, are you commenting on the latter comment? <laughs> I was going to point out that's my favorite one. <laughs> Where does it go? Again, this is something that we use this platform to uh, have author talks and get this amazing face-to-face, -face, actual face-to-face -face time with the community and almost kind of humanize the authors a bit. Uh, and this is a great example of it. Oh my God, Maggie loves dogs just like I do. You know, it's something very simple like that, but for kids, that's very powerful. And I would imagine she has a lot of another, a lot more fans uh, from from the kids that were uh, attending this live stream. I'm glad you picked up on the latter thing. <laughs> I was dying when I saw that. <laughs> we also, for the live stream, just briefly, it's not just author stuff. We do some really cool, uh, really cool book talks with our editors on the book um, because you know it's great to have these authors there, but they're busy, and 
many of them aren't very comfortable with doing this. So we've found other avenues for this platform. Uh, like I said, book talks. Uh, on the game side, I've done tips and tricks or where me and one of the other uh, admins go head to head in some competition that the kids find really funny. Uh, so there's a lot of things you can do to just build this family, build this community around your product. And then finally, we have begun beefing up what we're doing in live events. It's a pretty amazing picture with James fist, fist pounding on. <laughs> uh, but last year, we embarked on what we call the World's Collide Tour. And that was a pretty elaborate author tour where we sent James Dashner, uh, Rick Riordan, Brandon Mull, Drew Watson, Gordon Corman, all out to a couple different live events to do book signings. And uh, we had a face painting station where the kids get their face painted by animals. Kids and myself, I was there. Um, and we had a, a game spot set up for the kids to come and try the game. And it was our first time really committing the full transmedia product to some sort of a live event. We've done author tours in the past, but we brought members of the game team. We brought members of our full team there to set up this kind of con, if you will, in these various different locations. And this year, we wanted to kind of flip it a little bit and bring people to us. So next week, actually, we are hosting our own scholastic con event at our New York office. Um, and we're having a number of these authors come, and we've invited kids to come. We have a, a much bigger turnout than we thought we would. I hope we're able to handle them all. Um, but now these kids get to spend a full day just enjoying these transmedia products and sitting in on panels of, of some of these authors. And this uh, calls back to the idea of having a lot of these authors available to us because many of them are busy and we're not always going to get Rick Riordan in there, you know? So it's important to have a lot of these upcoming authors that can have FaceTime with the community and that's a great way of building your name and your brand is actually having true face-to-face -face time with the community. So we're really excited for that. And all of this, the unique experience, the uh, author events, the live streaming, the evolution of the product through data, it all comes down to us trying to make reading as fun as possible for as many kids as possible. But this, the transmedia platform is, is a perfect platform for this idea of encouraging fun. It's fun for us, the publisher. It's fun for the authors. It's a different experience for them. And the ones that really embrace it have a lot of good time doing things like the live streaming and participating in the game. And it's fun for these, these kids. They're getting this, this amazing experience, not just reading, but also online. And we're reaching so many different kids that have different interests that we're encouraging fun, no matter what you might find your interest being. Next week, we've got Brian O'Leary talking about content marketing and how you can leverage free content to increase discoverability of your titles. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can find us at booknetcanada.ca. Thanks to Keith for speaking at Tech Forum and everyone who attended or helped put it together. We gratefully acknowledge the financial support of the Government of Canada through the Canada Book Fund. And of course, thanks to you for listening.